are tuned to Arctic 15, a meeting spot for startups, investors, and businesses making real human connections since 2011. Join our next event. More information and upcoming dates on arctic15.com. Sure, I'll, I'll keep it very, very short. So I've been in investments for since 2005. Uh, I have a software engineering background, but I've been always in the financial markets in VC for, for eight. Um, at HG Ventures, we are a pan-European-based fund, uh, manage over a billion uh, of assets, and I'm in charge of the uh, fintech vertical. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, hey, everybody. My name's Chris McCann. Uh, I live in San Francisco. It's my first time in Stockholm, so thank you guys for inviting <laughs> me. Uh, I, before uh, Proof of Capital, I used to work at a much bigger venture capital fund in Silicon Valley called Greylock Partners. Um, Greylock, if you're not familiar with Series A investors in Facebook, LinkedIn, Dropbox, Airbnb, and a whole bunch of other companies on the consumer and enterprise side. Uh, I worked really closely there with one of the partners named Reid Hoffman, who was one of the co-founders of LinkedIn. And I mostly focused on a lot of the emerging tech spaces we're looking at, including FinTech, a little bit of crypto stuff, VR, AR, eSports, and sort of all the next-gen spaces. And then most recently, with me and three other partners of mine, we started a new venture capital fund called Proof of Capital, where fintech and financial infrastructure is the core focus of the fund. Thank you. Um, so, since I have you two wise gentlemen here, let's start with uh, with the good stuff. Let's start with the trends in fintech. So, obviously, s since we both are looking at uh, fintech type of companies, I want to ask not on like what's cool of in fintech today, but actually. What industries do you see most synergies with fintech? Because we see that the world is becoming more interconnected, industries are blending. So where are those, uh, those companies uh, that work between industries, perhaps? Um, sure, I'll, I'll take the, the first time at it. Um, I think two industries, in my opinion, have been collaborating over the years in a just good enough manner, but not their full potential are insurance and, and financial technologies. Uh, reason for that is that to make insurance uh, decisions, the insurance companies would get a snapshot generally of, of the financial well-being of a person, always leading to a sort of approximate evaluation. Now, with, uh, especially in Europe with, uh, with open banking, PSD2, we are getting real access data of, of the financial transactions, financial well-being of people, which is going to open a whole new level of uh, credit scoring capabilities. Uh, I can live see what a certain credit applicant should be given, uh, can make decisions way quicker, and that should hopefully lead to, to more credit being given at the right price to a bigger sort of audience. Ah, that's true. There's actually, I think, um, giving out uh, different types of uh, loans and uh, and such is one of the ways the banking industry is losing so much money because they have to say no so much and sometimes that's just because of a lack of information. Yeah, Chris, what about you? Have a say in this? Yeah, I guess a slightly broader answer and, and something that like we think about a lot is um, traditionally, the, the financial services industry has always been thought of as like a vertical industry. It's like its own sort of specific category, and you look at all the financial companies within that category. But the most interesting that we're seeing thing we're seeing, or one of the more interesting things we're seeing today, is fintech or this financial services vertical is actually horizontalizing. You're actually seeing more fintech features being embedded into existing applications. So think like you know the Apple Card or like you know the Uber wallet that they're doing with all their drivers or something like the Airbnb insurance type stuff. 
Uh, and there's a whole lot of like uh, sort of startup examples too. But you're starting to see uh, fintech being embedded into many of the consumer uh, uh, um, e-commerce sort of marketplaces that we're seeing. So I actually think we're going to see like a uh, sort of an explosion of both uh, developers working in this space and banks banks sort of being the underlying infrastructure for a lot of these fintech features within lots of other existing applications. Yeah, I agree. Banks have to figure out a way how to stay in the customer interface. That's one of our big challenges in the coming years. Um, and speaking uh, speaking of sort of trends and technology, what what type of you know new technology developments do you think are, are most exciting for for upcoming years in fintech? Is there any technology where you think, wow, that's going to really impact? I, I can take it, I can take this one first. Um, another kind of broad answer and something like we think about a lot is uh, I guess to go on your point where like you know banks want needing to still be in the center of this. W one of uh, this new category of customer that is very different than the old one is traditionally banks have always had to deal with retail sort of consumer customers or business. So whether that's like SMB or sort of large scale international company. But what we're seeing that's really interesting is there's this new customer set called developers that actually want to take the functionality of a bank and embed it into their applications. And this new customer set developers, they want very different things than consumers or businesses want. They want APIs, they want open data, they want access to accounts, they want they want to be able to like embed accounts into their applications. There's all this sort of uh, new stuff that they want. So one category that I think is super interesting is all of the developer tools around this space. Because um, at least to me, sorry, no offense, a lot of the traditional banks are sort of bad at building a lot of things for developer experiences. None taken. Uh, <laughs> um, so like, I, I think there'll be a lot more of these platform companies and sort of startups to be able to build this like overlay infrastructure on top that works across a bunch of these banks. Yeah, um, and actually to, to your point, because I, I work with, um, uh, communication towards the developers we have on open banking and I also see that each of the banks is creating something on their own and for the I think the next three years or so uh, definitely some of the money makers will be those that build the infrastructure in between the banking one that isn't so great for the developers you know for them to get access to to more financial technology tools. What about you? Yeah, I think piggybacking on the answer, uh, and again with a bit more of a European focus because that's that's the region I cover. So we we are we are seeing the regulators really pushing for good for once, not hindering uh, the sort of fintech's uh, evolution. And with PSD two open banking, really they are forcing banks out of their silos. Uh, so so far, obviously the bank was okay to, to acquire a customer into their current account at a money loss because that was sort of the cross-selling cross platform. Once you were stuck into that bank account, then probably you would buy the mortgage and other products from that bank. With the opening up of that layer and, and sort of breaking of the walls of, of the bank account and, and giving out the data, effectively the effect that, that the regulation had other than having a whole set of, of uh, mid-layered um, sort of platforms established is to force the bank into modularization of their software because now if they can't sort of offer everything vertical in a silo, 
they have to compete with our banks, so they have to have their mortgage issuance as a service and the lending as a service and bank account, meaning that if I bank with bank A, within that experience, I'll be able to seamlessly get a mortgage with bank B without having to go through a new KYC, getting to know the bank manager, et cetera, et cetera. And that's gonna be incredibly powerful for the consumers because they're gonna have access to way more products, possibly even pan-European products. I could be buying a flat in Munich with a mortgage issued in France and Denmark at negative interest rates. <laughs> yeah, this puts, uh, this puts uh, banks in a tough spot because uh, I don't know how many of you have changed bank accounts in your lifetime, but it's likely uh, that uh, you will easier get a divorce than change your bank unless something terrible happens. And you know, banks have been relying on that. Ah, oh, they're terrible, but I won't bother for decades now. So, you know, we have a fire um, burning behind us, that's for sure. Um, now, moving on from kind of trends, uh, and we've, uh, you, you're actually uh, touching upon this in, t in terms of opportunities as well. So, of course, there's a lot of change in the legislation happening in Europe. Um, the US have been taking advantage of, uh, of building things on top of banking for a while now. But when you look at markets where to invest and where like the biggest boom of fintech will happen over the next few years, what are some of the exciting places you look to? Well, I yeah, it's a risk of being boring. It, we are pan-European, so <laughs> first and foremost, Europe. Um, but, but really, even if we take Europe and, and maybe sitting in Stockholm and, and talking about cashless society being a great innovation is silly because you say, well, that's 2016. But really, in most of continental Europe, we're still reliant on cash, um, low credit card penetration in, in, in many countries, uh, which then triggers a whole lot of other problems, lower tax uh, returns for governments because there is more black business being done. Um, there is the managing of the cash, the printing of the cash, all the admin associated that. Uh, it goes in the billions every year and, and really getting continental Europe to move digital uh, on many fronts in the fintech spectrum is, is one of the big opportunities and, and again, we are way, way more advanced than most countries in Europe, but yeah, you, you probably noticed it on your <laughs> holidays to Italy or Spain or even Germany. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I, I guess I should give the context that, yeah, we primarily invest mostly in Silicon Valley, so I, I have far less uh, um, sort of insider sort of expertise on what's going on in the banking sector on the European side. Uh, we also do a handful of investments in Asia as well. And in, in Asia, specifically in, in mainland China and some of the surrounding areas, you see a very different landscape than even what you see in the States and I'm assuming what you see here. And the fact that a lot of the people's core balance, so where they hold the money, is not even necessarily in bank accounts. More likely than not, it's in WeChat wallets, digital wallets, Alipay, and you know, potentially sort of union pay side. And so when you look at that, like you now you have not only like working across traditional banks, now you have the added problem of traditional banks and digital wallets. And needing to be able to cross integrate between these things. There's a, um, there's a company we invested in, it's not public yet, so I won't say the name of it, but it basically allows merchants in the states to connect directly with uh, WeChat and also other digital wallets. So you'd be able to spend from your wallet if you're traveling and visiting directly from it. They have super impressive uh, um, 
payment volume. And then one of the things that's really interesting is because it's directly from the digital wallet, there's no interchange fee. There's no card network. Like it, it's far, the, the supply chain of payments is far, far simpler. So I think if you wanna see a lot of the sort of new, crazy, sort of weird things, like go, go spend some time in China. Like it's just a, it's a very, well, maybe, maybe not right not now. now yeah. <laughs> go, go, go in a couple months. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff, like when you look at the future of payments and finance, like there's a lot of stuff that they're doing that's just very different than, than at least in the States. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, talking about cash and digital wallets, I think one of the theses I've had is that, you know, cash won't die out. There's there's going to be a need for it. But we're, we're, as China skipped cards, Europe is now also moving, you know, to mobile payments, etc. So I think the card business is the one in this supply chain that's uh, under the most most threats, so to say. And we see Visa and MasterCard investing a lot in different areas. Um, Moving on from markets uh, to, yes, don't take the advice of going to China. Don't book your ticket today, at least. <laughs> uh, but moving uh, on from uh, opportunities in markets to opportunities in different customer segments, um, we know that banks have had the privilege to, you know, bank almost everyone. So sometimes that means that there's customer segments that receive a lot more attention and then there are those that are underserved. Uh, do you see any opportunities there? Do you see the, any customer bases or companies that are looking at certain customer bases uh, that fintechs will fill the gap for? Um, yeah, I'd say like at least in Silicon Valley, like so far, like that's probably been the, the biggest trend. Um, there's a, I don't know if you guys seen, but there's like a, famous graphic of basically the unbundling of all the banking services, where they show, um, it's very US-centric, but they show Wells Fargo, which is a big uh, US bank, and basically all of the services that Wells Fargo provides. And basically Wells Fargo does everything, uh, consumer checking accounts, business checking accounts, mortgage loans, personal loans, every product and service you could possibly think of, they do it all full stack from top to end. And all of these FinTech companies, instead of trying to do everything themselves, they're attacking a specific area. So we're just gonna do just consumer checking accounts. We're gonna do just SMB lending. Very, very, very specific. And in those specific cases, they can provide much better tailored service. They could do you know, all sorts of things that it's very hard for a traditional bank to do um, just because they're really, really focusing on an area. Um, so that's like the, the, the kind of, at least in the States, like the way they talk about it, it's like the unbundling of the mm -hmm. bank. And I think that's the, that, that is like the core reason of why we've seen sort of all these fintech apps uh, take off in the first place. Yeah, and I think uh, for once, uh, and that positive for banks, obviously you know, the banks are under attack from, from many segments, but I think there is a huge, huge, huge untapped potential currently across Europe, and that is retail investing. What I mean by that is historically, I mean, in the US there is a 401k scheme for pensions, so people have a brokerage account by default, or most do. Uh, in Europe, culturally, people had save for a home and then buy their home, and pension is a state pension. So investing in stocks and, and the robo-advice nowadays and, and, and all financial products were a bit more targeted to the more affluent markets. So also the structures within banks were set for a very hands-on face-to-face approach with zero interest rates, pensions imploding in, in many areas across Europe, uh, house prices going through the roof, so many young people not being able to afford housing all at once 
investing has become a topic in Europe. Um, and through fintech and a close collaboration with banks, there is an untapped market of 300 plus million people in Europe that ha can unleash their savings into something new. And that's obviously products where the margins are higher and then, then the sort of also for the banks, the, the um, opportunity to improve the top line is, is very solid, substantial. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, I've s always uh, seen, found it interesting to follow like the US and Acorn and different investing tools that are, um, you know, more geared towards anyone rather than the affluent investor. And now I get on my YouTube videos, I get eToro ads now with the <laughs> ba Mr. Baldwin all the time. So I can see that there's a, there's a move in that direction. Um, and we are almost out of time. So I want to ask you, so we haven't touched upon the topic of challenges so much yet, although everything that we've talked about is a bit, a bit about challenge. But uh, for fintech companies that are just starting out now or have started in the past few years, what, do you, what, do you, what would you say are their challenges at the moment or what they will have to overcome to actually be able to scale and build uh, solutions if you have a general answer like that? Maybe I'll take first, yeah, the challenge, the biggest challenge I see again and again and again at the very early stage is underestimating the regulatory process. Mm. Um, if the regulator says it's six months, startups assume it's six months, it's 14 months, and running out of cash in that process, and B, um, not modeling regulatory capital well depending what business they're in, uh, and not really understanding how regula regulatory capital increases as their company sort of takes on a, a J-curve um, and what the implication is in money they have to raise to get to the stage they want to get to. Chris? Um, yeah, I'd say like a, like a similar challenge also in the US is if, if you want to create a FinTech application um, and you want to partner with an underlying bank, at the end of the day, it's going to take you 12 to 18 months. I don't think it's any shorter in the States either. You know, eventually things like you know developer platforms and banking as a service and sort of infrastructural tools will hopefully help shortcut that. But right now, you're still seeing pretty long sort of sales cycles, um, which makes the um, the I guess like challenge of early stage financing and getting off the ground and launching just different for fintech apps. It, it tends to um, be longer. They tend to have to raise more capital. They don't necessarily have all the early traction that like a normal consumer like SaaS company would have. So, and then the, the founders also have to have a little bit more um, uh, like background either on the regulatory side or bring somebody in or like a strong compliance or AML scheme to, to it as well. Like these are things that, again, you don't necessarily have to think about in the normal consumer enterprise side. But for yeah. the fintech, it's like sort of critically important early on.